All right, Patriots, hardliners, warriors for Christ, it's time to stand up and take your nation back. Are you ready? It's time to assemble. It's time to return God back at the top of the throne where he belongs and get Christ back in our heart where he belongs. They've crossed this line one too many times, and we are going to take this nation back once and for all. Isaiah 42, 13 reminds us, the Lord goes forth like a warrior, like a man of war, he stirs up his fury. He shouts out his battle cry against his enemies, he shows his might, and that's what we will do here at his heart line. We will show his might. They have crossed this line for the last time. So let's take this nation back. Let's get started. Good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you are in the world, ladies and gentlemen. You are listening to another His Hardline discussion with yours truly, Jason Jones. But remember, I'm not the star of the show. In fact, I'm not a star at all. God and Jesus Christ are. They are the host. They run this platform. They're the boss. They're the CEO. They're the executives. They are the ones that make all the calls around here. Not me. I'm just a co-host. I'm just a little technical guy that plays and pushes buttons, talks a little bit. That's about it. But with God and Jesus Christ at the wheel, at the helm of this ship, they're steering us through these crazy chaotic waters we call life. And so long that we listen, so long that we listen, they will steer us in the right direction. Happy to have you here. Thank you for joining us here at His Hardline. And thank you for joining us for another His Hardline discussion. So today we're going to be discussing the true American flag on this day, Flag Day. And it is June 14th, 2022, Tuesday. And depending on where you're at in the world, it might be June 15th. I'm not sure. I'm not exactly too entirely sure how that whole thing works with the dates. But wherever you are in the world, we're all here together. And if you're not here, well, then you're just going to have to make do with listening to the playback. But I want to also, again, real quick, just a quick show note before I get rocking and rolling here. Um, don't forget to share this podcast far and wide. I have a website. It's www.hishardline.com. It's a very simple website. You'll have a main landing page with a button that says start listening. It'll take you to the podcast link, the page, and it has a media player on there. If you do not have a Podbean account. You can listen there to the newest episodes starting at the top and it goes to oldest in descending order. And then there's a link called assembly. If you're interested in knowing your state's or county's status in the national assembly, the rightful assembly, not the one by AVR, um, check it out. Um, there's a few podcasts there that discuss the assembly and different topics there within. And then there's another link. I forgot what it was now. Um, I believe it's like random post, right? So if there's messages I have for whatever reason, if I get deplatformed, right, on Podbean or wherever, that's going to be like my main hub of, okay, this is where you can go. I'm going to be here at Rumble. Or I'm going to be here, right? So anyway, so there's that. But I have noticed new people starting accounts and following me because I check every single notification. And I've noticed a lot of you out there are joining Podbean just to listen to me. And I want to say I'm humbled and I appreciate that. And I thank you literally from the bottom of my heart. I really do appreciate that. And I will always strive to make sure I put out the best content ever. Really, truly, and I mean that because the whole big reason why I started this platform to begin with is because we have so many people out there in the truther community, right? They put out different truths, which are 
Some of them are legitimate, but then they only put out partial truths and they never give you the whole story. Well, with the assemblies, with returning back to our self-governance and getting the power back to the people, just like Donald Trump said, it all starts with the assembly. Okay. But I don't hear any other voice out there discussing these things at all. Okay. At all. And the reason why I'm not, I want to discuss the United States civil peace flag is because, well, A, it's, it's national, it's, you know, flag day. So goes without saying, but it's so important to understand the real true history that we're not taught in school. So anyway, without further ado, let's get into this because this is very interesting history. And like I said, I've never been one who's been about history. I absolutely hated history in high school. In fact, I darn near almost fell asleep through it. If it wasn't for getting detentions, I pretty much dozed and daydreamed through most of uh, history class. And I'm glad I did because little do I know now, little that I know then that what they were telling me was partial truths, not complete truths. But I tell you what, I'm really enjoying history now. The more I learn within the assembly because wow, just wow. So anyway, so today what we're going to discuss is the difference between the United States civil peace flag and old glory that we know as, you know, the actual American flag that everybody flies outside their front, you know, the front of their house that you see at the courthouse that you see at the post office everywhere. Right. And so, you know, almost all Americans think of the stars and stripes as old glory, right. As their only flag. But see, did you know that we, the people of the United States actually have two national flags? We have the military flag and then the civil flag for peacetime. And they have several important distinctions and meanings. The one that we know as Old Glory is a military flag. All right. Now, the civil flag has only been flown for three years out of the entire existence of America. And those were three years of peace. Literally peace where we had no war going on. Figure that one out. Now, the Stars and Stripes originated as a result of a resolution that was adopted by the Marine Committee of the Second Continental Congress at Philadelphia June 14th of 1777 and for use on military installations. Okay. Now what I'm talking about is the original flag. Okay. So for use on military installations on ships and in battle and directing that a U.S. flag consists of 13 stripes alternating from red and white, as we all know that a union be 13 stars white in a blue field representing a new constellation. Okay. That's old glory. Now, prior to, you know, prior to during the War of Independence and after, under the Articles of Confederation, smuggling was actually seen as a patriotic duty of the citizens of 13 independent and sovereign states. Did you know that? Because I didn't know that. But after the ratification of the Constitution and the establishment of a new nation, smuggling needed to actually be stopped. And so the new nation depended on the revenue from customs tariffs duties, and taxes on imported goods in order to survive. Now, in 1790, with the customs laws firmly in place, Secretary of Treasury of the Treasury, Alexander Hamilton, set to work devising adequate means of enforcing the the year-old regulations. And he quote, and I quote, a few armed vessels judiciously stationed at the entrances of our ports, end quote, by Hamilton suggests that, again, quote, might at a small expense be made useful sentinels of our laws, end quote. Now, Congress 
concurred and that year appropriated $10,000, which if you can conceive how much money that is, even today, $10,000 would go a long way for us. $10,000 back then was a lot of money. But in that year, appropriated $10,000 to build and maintain a fleet of 10 revenue cutters, which were to be placed under the charge of the customs collectors whose responsibilities would be enforcement of the tariff laws. Now, along with financial responsibility, Hamilton decided or demanded that the officers be servants of the people. And rightfully so. And the officers, they will always keep in mind that their countrymen are free men and as such are impatient in everything that bears that least mark of a domineering spirit. Now, nine years later, Congress refined the revenue cutter's role in customs operations with the passage of the Act of March 2nd, 1799, known as Administ Act. Now, in particular, though, Congress determined that the cutters and boats employed in the service of the revenue shall be distinguished from other vessels by an ensign in pendant and pendant with such marks thereon as, such, as shall be prescribed and directed by the President of the United States. So additionally, the act permitted commanders of revenue vessels to fire at other vessels failing to respond. So after such pendant and sign shall be hoisted and a gun fired by such revenue cutter as a signal. By this act, the revenue marine, later called the revenue cutter service, and signed served as the seagoing equivalent of the policeman's badge, okay, which was basically a distinctive sign of the vessel's law enforcement authority on the water. Now, the job of designing the distinguishing and sign eventually fell upon a man named Oliver Wolcott. He replaced Alexander Hamilton as Secretary of the Treasury in 1795, and on June 1, 1799, Wolcott submitted his design to President John Adams for approval, and Wolcott's proposal featured an ensign of 16 stripes, alternating red and white, representing the number of states that had joined the Union thus far at that point in 1799, and with the Union to be the armed arms of the United States in dark blue on a white field. Now listen to this. It is significant to note that Wolcott turned the arrangement of stripes 90 degrees to vertical to differentiate the new revenue cutter in sign from the U.S. flag to denote civilian authority under the Treasury Department rather than military authority under the War Department. Did you hear that? I'm going to repeat that. So by changing the stripes to go vertical, so we'll just, so basically by making the stripes, turning it 90 degrees to vertical, it allowed other people out at sea to differentiate the new revenue cutter in sign from the U.S. flag. And that would also communicate to others out there that hey this is a this is this is denoting civilian authority under the treasury department so this is not the military authority okay 
So that's what that whole purpose of changing the flag stripes from horizontal to vertical was about. Now, through the usage and custom, horizontal stripes had become adapted, adopted for use over military post and vertical stripes adopted for use over civilian establishments. So the civil flag was intended for peacetime usage in custom house civilian settings and had vertical stripes with blue stars and a white field behind it. So by law of the flag, this design denoted civilian jurisdiction under the Constitution and common law, as opposed to military jurisdiction under admiralty slash military law. That's very, very important to note that, ladies and gentlemen. Very important to hear that. I'm going to repeat that. So by the law of the flag, the design, this design denoted civil jurisdiction under the Constitution and common law. One more time, I feel like it has to be repeated. This design, again, the civil flag, the, the vertical stripes, denote, denoted civil jurisdiction under the Constitution and common law, as opposed to the military jurisdiction under admiralty slash military law. Very relevant. Now, although intended for just customs house usage, the new civil flag became adopted by both custom houses and merchants and others who could afford them to show their civilian nature and not under military control. The practice of using the customs flag as a civil flag became encoded in law in 1874 when the Treasury Secretary William A. Richardson required all custom houses to, to display the civil flag. Now, we fast forward to May 26, 1913. Hmm, May 13, what happened in May 13? Well, uh, that's the year that uh, the cabal decided to screw us all uh, even further. But with the approval of Senate Bill 2337, shortly after the fraudulent declaration by Secretary of State Philander Knox, that the 16th Amendment had been ratified and during the same weeks that the Federal Reserve System and the IRS were established and the U.S. Coast Guard absorbed the revenue cutter and the life-saving lighthouse services becoming a part of the military forces of the United States operating under the Treasury Department in time of peace and as a part of the Navy, subject to the orders of the Secretary of the Navy, in time of war. Huh. The civil flag used by the Cutter Service was modified, placing the Coast Guard insignia on the stripes in the field and was adopted under Coast Guard authority, losing its original significance of civilian authority which by then had long been forgotten. And as the federal government acquired more control over the states and their citizens during and after World War II, by 1951, the original civil flag had been phased out completely. Its existence was left as an artifact of time in a few old photographs and a rare mention in old books. I'm going to pause there for a second. Now, just so you know, I don't know if any of you notice, if you actually live anywhere where there's water and you have a Coast Guard, I bet you, and I'm not going to bet too much money because I'm not too certain, but I bet you, you're going to see the civil peace flag with 
of course, an insignia. You're not going to see the 50 stars with the white background, but you're going to see a flag with vertical stripes on it with a military insignia on the, uh, on the white over the white field. Okay. Grand Haven, Michigan, where we're at, we have Coast Guard. In fact, we're the Coast Guard uh, capital of the country. At least that's what it says on the uh, the big ship that they have on the ground uh, as you roll into Grand Haven on the plaque. And they have a civil peace flag flying out there at their base, at their installation there. And I believe, I do believe, uh, there's a Coast Guard station up in Muskegon, Michigan, that also has this, from what I understand, which is pretty cool. So check it out. If you have a Coast Guard near you, go look. Okay. So continuing on. Today, the last vestige of the civil flag, the U.S. Coast Guard flag, being under civil jurisdiction of the Department of Treasury during peacetime is identical to the revenue cutter in sign, but with the service insignia emblazoned on the stripes in the field. And it is seen as the, excuse me, it is still seen as the shoulder patch of U.S. Customs employees, but it too now has the gold fringe very important it too now has the gold fringe signifying admiralty slash military slash law merchant jurisdiction you ever see flags both the u.s flag i've even seen i think i believe the presidential flag i've seen all these flags with the gold fringe on it, it means it's captured so uh, you know it's it's under admiralty law now, Nathaniel, um, let me make sure I'm in the right spot here. Yeah. Now, Nathaniel Hawthorne, uh, the Scarlet Letter, if you've ever heard of that, published in 1850 before the war between the states, has this description of the U.S. civil flag in the introduction. The Custom House. And there's a photo of what I'm looking at. There's an old photo here. But it says, in quote, here, with a view from its front windows, adorn this not very enliv enlivening prospect, and thence across the harbor stands a spacious edifice of brick. From the loftiest point of its roof during precisely three and a half hours of each forenoon, floats or drops in breeze or calm the banner of the Republic, but with the thirteen stripes turned vertically instead of horizontally, and thus indicating that a civil and not a military post of Uncle Sam's government is here established. Its front is ornamented with a portico of half a dozen wooden pillars supporting a balcony, beneath which a flight of wide granite steps descends towards the street. Over the entrance hovers an enormous specimen of, an, of the American eagle, with outspread wings, a shield before her breast, and, if I recollect all aright, a bunch of intermingled thunderbolts and barbed arrows in each claw. With the customary infirmity of temper that characterizes this unhappy fowl, she appears by the fierceness of her beak and eye and the general... Uh, wow, I, I had this word figured out earlier. Forgive me. And the general truculency, 
tr- yeah, tr- truculency of her attitude to threaten mischief to the inoffensive community and especially to warn all citizens careful of their safety against intruding on the premises which she overshadows with her wings. Nevertheless, vixenly as the looks, many people are seeking at this very moment to shelter themselves under the wing of the federal eagle imagining i presume that her bosom has all the softness and snugness of an eider down pillow but she has no great tenderness even in her even in her best of moods and sooner or later often soon than late is apt to fling off her nestlings with a scratch of her claw a dab of her beak or a rankling wound from her barbed arrows end quote and I do believe that was from a reading from the Scarlet Letter. Now, before 1940, the U.S. flag, and let me pause for a second here because uh, I have a gentleman, Destry Payne, here in the house. The gold fringe means, and if you see the gold fringe around any flag, it means it's captured by the sea, just for the record. Thank you for that, Mr. Destry. Um, now, before 1940, no U.S. flag, civil or military, flew within the 48 states except in federal settings and installations. Now, I did not know that when I read this earlier. Only state flags did. But since 1935, the institution of the Social Security and the Buck Act of 1940, which you could find uh, for USCS, Chapter 4, Section 104 through 113, by clever legal maneuvers, the feds have entirely circumvented the U.S. Constitution. Did you hear that? By clever, clever legal maneuvers, the feds, the feds, you know, the corrupt system that we're still trying to get, you know, boot out of this you know, country and take back our jurisdiction. The feds have entirely circumvented the U.S. Constitution and have overlaid federal territorial jurisdiction on the sovereign states, bringing them under the admiralty slash military jurisdiction of law merchant, the Uniform Commercial Code, the UCC, the law of creditors and debtors. Uh-huh. <laughs> Since then, the U.S. military flag appears besides or in place of the state flags in nearly all locations within the states. But did you know that all of the state courts and even the municipal ones now openly display it? In the last half century, they have more openly declared the military slash admiralty law jurisdiction with the addition of the gold fringe to the flag the military flag of the commander-in-chief of the armed forces. Very important. Now, such has been the path that has brought us under the law of the military flag. This should have raised serious questions from many citizens long ago, but we've been educated, quote, educated, to listen and believe what we are told in these, uh, places we call schools, a.k.a. indoctrination camps. We were taught not to ask questions. We were taught to not think for ourselves or search for the truth. We were taught to just listen and obey. 
Sorry, I only listen to Obey to God. That's about it. This is very, very important, ladies and gentlemen, because we have been taught and educated, again, and I use that word very loosely, educated, quote unquote, to listen and believe what we're told and not ask questions or to think for ourselves or search for the truth. And Destry just posted on here, definition of education equals the training of animals. Absolutely. That's all we are. And that's what the cabal looks at us as. Chattel. We're animals. Nothing more, nothing less. Little ants that they have no problem stepping and squashing and ending our little minuscule lives. Minuscule, at least in their eyes. Not the eyes of God or to one another. Just so I'm clear. Now, continuing on. Now, a little history of the U.S. civil flag. Now, this gets pretty uh, intriguing. So, the first U.S. flag, which denoted civilian versus military purposes, was designed in 1799 by Oliver Wolcott Jr., the Secretary of the Treasury under John Adams. Wolcott's proposal featured an ensign consisting of 16 alternating red and white stripes representing the number of states that had joined the Union by 1799. And the union represented by the small rectangle in the upper left corner with its arms, an eagle, of the United States in dark blue on a white field. It is significant to note that Wolcott's new civilian flag had vertical stripes, not horizontal. This was done so that non-military ships would be easily recognized and not fired upon as they tried to hail and board foreign vessels. This new flag was actively flown on revenue cutters, what we now call Coast Guard cutters. Which, by the way, a little side note, coming up at the end of July, usually the first week in August, we have the Coast Guard, the National Coast Guard Festival. It's a week long. It's from a Saturday to a Sunday. So it goes a little over a week. It's really fun. The big Coast Guard ships come in. You can take a tour of them. It's really something else. It's very amazing. I am very much looking forward to this. Um, I even thought about just entering and paying to get into parade and just walking with my civil peace flag right up, you know, just walking. Nothing fancy, no cars, no, no giving out candy or T-shirts, just me, my flag, my civil flag, and just walking. Just so people can look at that flag and wonder what the heck is that flag. And maybe I might wear like a shirt or something that uh, says, uh, you know, look it up, civil flag, civil peace flag or something. I don't know. I thought about doing that just to, just so people knew what that flag was. Because even though it hangs up at the Coast Guard in Grand Haven, a lot of people probably don't even look at it. They overlook it because there's probably other flags there. You know, you got the Michigan State flag and then you got the, you know, probably the United States, you know, military flag. And I don't know whatever other flags they got flying there. I have no idea. But yeah. So anyway, a little side note, um, check it out, Grand Haven. It's one of the most biggest festivals of the year. Uh, even, believe it or not, it seems like we get more of an out. Uh, we get more of a, um, what do I want to say? We have we have more of a turnout than, say, the 4th of July, which is pretty crazy. Uh, there's a parade and all that stuff. Anyway, carrying on. So this new flag, though, was actively flown on revenue cutters, which we know, know as the Coast Guard cutters. And the original purpose of the revenue cutter was to collect tariffs and other taxes that were imposed on foreign goods. Remember when Trump did that? And everybody freaked out. They're like, oh, we're not supposed to be doing that. He's going to be ruining our country. Well, it didn't ruin our country. It's what you're supposed to do. 
Hello? Or is anybody awake out there? The revenue cutter in sign had vertical stripes to denote civilian authority under the Treasury Department rather than military authority under the War Department. So, the first U.S. civil flag in 1799, in the early days of our nation, the horizontal stripes became the accepted practice for use over military posts. And vertical stripes were used over civilian establishments. The use of the civilian flag also spread to merchants and common citizens to symbolize their constitutional rights. So I'll have you all know, I have a civil peace flag that hangs outside, uh, not on my house. I actually have it because we don't have a fenced in backyard, but I have a really big tree. And I have a cross that I built and it's on, on the tree. And above that is the civil peace flag. And it's up there, it's actually quite high. It's probably about 15 or 16 feet up the tree. So you can see it clearly from the road off to the side. I love it. And I was thinking about um, the only reason I don't have it in front of my house is because the only post that I can hang a flag from has a gutter that goes right down the front of it. So I have to figure a way to maneuver uh, some sort of uh, hanging bracket that I can hang a flag where it still faces the road, but off to the side, if that makes sense. So, um, yeah. So anyway, but yeah, I fly the civil flag at the Jones residence here. And yes, I have respect for the military flag, um, but I have those in my garage. All right. I mean, because the military is very important. They're the reason why our country is, um, well, in a state of calm, believe it or not. Yeah, we have a lot of craziness going on, but the military is still very important, very vital. But we are not, um, I am, this household is not a military installation. So therefore, I will not hang the military old glory flag as everybody else does outside my house because I will not allow my domicile to be taken over because it, it can be. If you have your, the U.S. military flag hanging outside your house, what you're basically saying is you're, 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 you're signifying that your home is a military installation, as what Destry was just saying here in the chat. In the chat here, hanging the battle flag signifies your home as a military installation. Well, I am not a military installation. I am also not at battle. I'm not at war. I am at peace and I'm a civilian. And I hang that to symbolize that I have constitutional rights. Now, the civil flag had red, white, vertical stripes and the blue stars on a white background. By the law of flags, the vertical stripes design denoted Roman civil jurisdiction within federal territories rather than military jurisdiction under ad- admiralty law. Now, the practice of using the customs flag as a civil flag became encoded law in 1874 when Treasury Secretary William A. Richardson required all custom houses to display the civil flag. Now, where did Wilcott get the idea of using vertical stripes from? Why did Wolcott choose to turn the horizontal stripes of Old Glory 90 degrees? We need to return to the beginnings of the American Revolution to satisfy this query. So in Boston, the Sons of Liberty were the original revolutionary group who sparked the initial rebellion against the British in 1765. The Stamp Act was imposed by the British Parliament to tax all forms of legal documents within their American colonies. The Stamp Act created great unrest in America, as you can imagine, especially in Boston, where an effigy of the local stamp agent, Andrew Oliver, was hanged and burned. And eventually Oliver resigned, his home looted, and the stamps destroyed. 
the elm tree Oliver was hung on became known as the Liberty Tree. I guess that's why they have, I think, I think that's their, uh, what their motto, give me, give me death or give me liberty. I believe if I'm not mistaken properly. The Stamp Act Rebellion initiated the Stamped Act Congress, which gathered representatives from nine of the 13 colonies. And a petition of rights and grievances was drawn up declaring that the colonists were entitled to all the inherent rights and liberties of natural born subjects. Now, the colonies also declared that no taxes ever have been or can be constitutionally imposed upon them, but by their respective legislatures, and that it was unreasonable and inconsistent for the people of Great Britain to grant to His Majesty the property of the colonists. That's right. The petition asserted that the extending, excuse me, the petition asserted that extending the courts of admiralty, the law of the seas, in order to prosecute the act undermined the rights and liberties of the colonists. So the original common law flag was first raised. Listen to this. The original common law flag was first raised over the Liberty Tree in Boston. The rebellious stripes, as the flag came to be called and was the original flag used by the Sons of Liberty, and it had nine red and white vertical stripes. The rebellious stripes. Amen. Now, as far as the Sons of Liberty with the rebellious stripes, that was from uh, 1767 to 1775. Now, why did they choose red and white vertical stripes as their symbol? Well, was the flag with vertical stripes a way of rebelling against the British East India Company? The British East India Company flag had red and white horizontal stripes with the Union Jack in the upper left-hand corner. The first official flag of the American Revolution was the Grand Union flag first flown by General George, or excuse me, General Washington on January 2nd. 1776 at Cambridge, Massachusetts. Now, coincidentally, though, it was also the same exact flag as the British East India Company. It flew for over a year after the signing of the Declaration of Independence. Now, an anonymous individual of European descent, known only as the Professor, recommended that the British East Indian Company flag to, to uh, excuse me, recommended the BEI Company flag to Ben Franklin and the flag committee. And it has been reported that this mysterious individual was none other than Jesuit General Lorenzo Ricci, head of the Jesuit order. Sidebar, this was another topic I was debating about discussing, but since the very nature of today's flag day, this is why I decided to do this instead. But uh, the next one I'm going to do, the next His Hardline discussion, I'm going to see if I can squeeze a an extra bonus one between now and next week, Tuesday. But if not next week, Tuesday, we're going to be going over the Jesuit order, their blood oath and all that nonsense that AVR took. We're going to get into some heavy stuff, you know, at some point between now and Tuesday, as far as that goes. But anyway, back on track with the flag, but yeah, he was the head of the Jesuit order. Now, general Ricci supposedly had died in a Vatican prison six months prior you know and what's crazy i had no idea the vatican had a prison did you because i sure as hell didn't but you know i digress 
Pope Clement the Fourteenth, the man who suppressed the Je- um, did I read that right? Yeah, Roman numeral XIV. Yeah, Pope Clement the Fourteenth. We'll go with that. The man who suppressed the Jesuit order in 1773 and had General Ricci imprisoned and soon died early in 1774, apparently poisoned. Now, the Vatican treasurer at that time was General Ricci's best friend and former classmate, Cardinal Bracci. Bracci controlled the Vatican resources as acting pope during the beginning of the American Revolution. Now, it appears that the Jesuits, via the Vatican Bank, may have funded the American Revolution. It would explain the seat of the new American government being set up on a Roman Catholic possession and the institution of Roman civil law as the law of the United States territories, i.e. the District of Columbia, or as I like to call it, the Devil's Crab Hole. That's what I like to call it. That's my own little acronym for it. I digress again. Sorry. Now, with the Grand Union flag from January 2nd, 1776 to 77, although not a true sovereign flag, only a state flag with a common law seal can directly represent the common law. There is an indirect relationship to individual and state sovereignty with the U.S. civil flag. Now, a solvent federal government flying a civil flag implies solvent states slash nations with sovereign citizens. Let me repeat that. A solvent federal government flying a civil flag implies solvent states slash nations with sovereign citizens. When we first came across the civil flag and decided that this flag should be the symbol for all sovereign citizens, we looked back to the Sons of Liberty and their rebellious stripes flag as our example. Now we wanted a flag that would address the deep need in Americans to awaken and return to a time when our government was not Big Brother, hidden under the name of the Patriot Act, which, by the way, was written before it was released in 2001, just so you know. A lot of people don't know that. The Patriot Act was was written and drafted literally like three or four years prior to 9-11 even happening. What's that tell you? That tells you everything that happened from 9-11 on forward was all planned. That wasn't just some random terrorist hijacking a plane. Come on. There's some other science. Maybe we'll get into that a little bit later in a different show. But there's a lot of other things and in, in, in actual evidence that points to the fact that what happened in New York was clearly, clearly. And you know what? You, I don't care who calls me conspiracy theorist because I'm going to tell you right now. If you just look at the melting point of what metal is, steel or whatever is used in those beams in the Twin Towers, okay, versus, uh, so you look up the melting point for metal, and then you look up how hot jet fuel burns. I'm going to tell you right now, the jet fuel is severely deficient 
in temperature by like several hundred degrees. I want to say it's like it can't, it, it, it falls short of like eight, seven, eight, nine hundred degrees of actual reaching the, the hottest point that is needed for steel to melt. Just FYI. But yet two planes, one plane in each building crashes in a thick structure. I mean, we're talking planes where the cones of the front of the plane get crushed by hitting a goose. You're telling me just a couple thousand gallons of jet fuel that can't even reach the heat to melt steel beams in a skyscraper? You're telling me one plane in each building took down those those buildings? Nah. I'm going to tell you right now, just that piece of evidence alone, forget everything else, the other hundreds of pieces of evidence out there that they hide, just that one. You want to talk about follow the science? Follow the science. It's called physics, people. Anyway, I digress. I'm continuing on. Uh, man, I tell you what, I get so burned. I hate these people out here. I'm in a little sidebar. I'm going to interrupt myself one more time. I'm so sick and tired of people out there. And when you talk about these kind of things, right, these fringe topics that are considered taboo and woo-woo, they look at you like you're nuts, like, oh, you're just a nut job conspiracy theorist. Oh, no. I am someone who actually digs and researches and tries to debunk it to make sure that it is a conspiracy and not an actuality. I am an actuality researcher. I am not a conspiracy theorist. In fact, you're an ignorant. Well, I'm going to be nice. I'm just going to leave that alone. You're just ignorant and you're lazy. And as Destry says, your ignorance is unbecoming. So maybe should shut your mouth instead of just float out that phrase, oh, you're a conspiracy theorist, because all that is is just a cheap go-to phrase to try to discredit one who actually does research and studies and really digs into these hard topics hours on end. Meanwhile, while you're probably sitting on Netflix binge-watching freaking Friends or whatever the hell is on Netflix, I don't know, don't have it, don't care, trying to figure out who's doing who on what sitcom show and oh i gotta make sure i do this and watch that so don't come at me with oh you're a conspiracy theorist when you're just sitting on your couch doing nothing but wanking off watching netflix i don't want to hear it i don't want to hear it you can shut your mouth and that's how i feel but that is a fact about the Patriot Act that has been drafted before it was even released. And just as some surmise how the Sons of Liberty turned to the British East India Company's flag on its side, we also decided to turn Old Glory on its side. We wanted the flag to represent our modern Union of States. And that's why we, the people in assembly, use it. We choose to create a flag that had 13 vertical stripes and 50 blue stars on a white background. One star for each sovereign state of the, of the Union of the United States of America. And when I say the United States of America, I'm talking the United, lowercase u, states, capital S, of America, capital A. And when I say America, that's America with a C, not a K. The true United States of America. That is the U.S. sovereign flag. That's the peace, civil peace flag. And our, civil, our civilian flag is a way of reminding Americans 
as well as our leaders, that every man and woman is sovereign and that we are endowed by our creator with life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. This civil, the sovereign civil flag is a symbol of our desire to return America to the dreams upon which she was founded. So, ladies and gentlemen, when you hear the media today discussing how the mayor of D.C. wants to add a star to the flag, and when I say the flag, the U.S. Old Glory military battle flag, first off, don't pay attention to what Mayor Bowser says. She's de facto fraud and an idiot to boot. Okay, she's a moron. She has no jurisdiction. She is a mayor of a foreign nation. The devil's crap hole. I mean, the District of Columbia. Okay, there's that. So when people started getting all hissy tizzy, you know, when BLM wrote Black Lives Matter in front of the White House, why? Why are you getting upset about it? It's foreign land. They can do whatever they want. That's not the people's land. That's foreign land. Okay, there's that. But back to the 51st star, they can do whatever they want, technically. It means jack crap, ladies and gentlemen. That's not the real U.S. flag. It's a military battle flag. And trust me, the military will deal with them. But as far as we, the people in assembly, the sovereign men and women of the sovereign states of the United States of America, we have our true flag. It's the United States of America civil peace flag, okay? And they're not tampering with that flag. They can tamper with whatever flag they want, but they're not tampering with the United States civil peace flag. If you want one, you can go on, I believe, Amazon or I think eBay. I think Destry was saying you can go on eBay and find a three by five, I believe it is, flag, uh, you know, basic canvas flag for about eight, nine bucks, I think. Amazon, I can't remember. I think it was like 12 bucks on Amazon. I have one in my garage hanging up and I have one outside of my house hanging up. Buy one. That's your true American flag. And so I hope you learned something very valuable. I know talking about a flag isn't, again, a very riveting conversation, but these are topics that you have to listen to. You have to hear. This is the history you you are not going to be taught. In fact, you could probably take this recording and if you're a homeschooler, use it for your homeschool kids. Teach the true history of American history and what the flag, what the actual flag of this nation really is. Because what people are being, what kids are being taught in public schools and even, well, private schools to boot. Yes, there is a higher level of education in private and Christian schools. I get it. You don't have common core, but keep in mind, you're still not being taught true history which is very vital to this nation and to our world for that matter. There's a reason why they keep this real history from us. There's a reason why the Vatican keeps a lot of history from us. It's all about control. It's all about power. It's all about enriching a very select elite few. You have to know who you are and where you come from. And where you come from is our Heavenly Father, God. And Jesus said it in Luke. And I'm paraphrasing here, basically, but he says, I give you authority to step on snakes and scorpions, which is the evil that tries to triumph over us, but will never triumph over, over us because we have authority over Satan and his little devil minions. Remember that. So anyway, that's all we have for today. That is 
the true American flag on this day we call Flag Day, June 14th, 2022. And I encourage all of you, please use this for a homeschooling session for your kids. It's very important. And if you want to know more about We the People in Assembly, if you want to know about your state and its sovereignty and where it stands as an assembled state and your county for that matter, go to www.national-assembly.net. One more time, www.national-assembly.net. Every Thursday, we have a national call, conference call. You can call in. There is a link that says conference call somewhere on the upper left-hand corner of the webpage. Click on it every 9 p.m. Every Thursday, we do a basic business meeting among the union of states that are on that call. And then we have a Q&A for guests. You have to announce yourself, things like that. We go over what the process and decorum is when you're on the call, you know, so it's not a big cluster, you know what, of voices talking over one another, not knowing who's saying what. So if you want to have a question, you have a question, you say, may I? And then the moderator will announce you and say, you may name, you know, state your name and state. And then you ask your question. And then when you're done, you say, I yield. And that means that the moderator has the floor to call on the next person, a man or woman that has a question after it's answered. So join us on the call. Find out who's in your state. Otherwise, if that's, you don't, you know, if that's a little too much for you, email me at JMJ and that's J M as in Mary J direct D I R E C T J M J direct at his hard line.com. That's all one word at his hard line.com. So one more time, J M J direct at his hard line.com and type in the subject line, your state, and um, after your state, the next word, assembly with a question mark. And what I will do is I will respond to you, greet you, introduce myself, say thank you for your support and listening. And then what I will do at that point is I'm going to forward you to um, another individual in the assembly because we want to make sure we don't lose anybody in the cracks. If somebody is really, truly, genuinely wanting to know about the National Assembly and the assembly of their state. So I will forward you to a man named Destry, and then he will field you to all the proper individuals within your respective state and your local area that you are located in geographically. Okay. So there is a little process because we want to make sure we handle everyone with respect, with care. And, um, we, you know, and, and obviously we respect your time. So we want to make sure that we don't, we don't, uh, waste your time. And we want to make sure that you get in contact with the proper people. And then therefore you can start asking your questions to whoever we direct you to and, you know, attend whatever meetings may be in your area and kind of start the learning process, kind of vet us. This is your opportunity to kind of vet the National Assembly. Make sure it's something you want to get involved with. Look, it took me two and a half, three months to vet. And I went to different meetings and I listened and I learned and I listened and I learned and I did it again, rinse, repeat, rinse, repeat. And it took about three months before I actually pulled the trigger and said, okay, you know what? I am going to I'm going to, I'm going to commit to this. And it's not a second full-time job. Just let me get that clear. Being part of the assembly is not a second full-time job. It doesn't take much time at all. You do a state call once a week, if you can do it, right? About an hour or so. <clears throat> once a month, we have a state meeting. 
All right. But it's not like you got to put in three, four hours a day. Now, unless you're on a committee that you volunteer for or you hold a specific office that requires more time, then, yeah, you're going to have a little bit more that you're going to do. However, just being involved, okay, and it's your duty, okay? If you want to return to self-governance, this is what's, what, what's, what's entailed. Just get involved, all right? Go to the meetings, listen. Learn. Learn about true history. I still don't know everything. And I probably will. I'll get to my last dying breath in my 90s. I probably won't know everything. There's so much to learn. And as is with everybody in the assembly, everybody's still learning. It doesn't matter how long they've been in it. There's men, there's men that I know that have been in this for 13, 14 years. They're still learning. It's a never-ending process. If you think you know it all, you, you might as well bow out because you're never going to know it all. So. With that, we're going to end with the outro prayer, the uh, warrior's prayer. I love this prayer. It's recorded. So I'm going to play this and then we're going to close it out. Heavenly Father, your warrior prepares for battle. Today I claim victory over Satan by putting on the whole armor of God. I put on the girdle of truth, may I stand firm in the truth of your word, so I will not be a victim of Satan's lies. I put on the breastplate of righteousness, may it guard my heart from evil, so I will remain pure and holy, protected under the blood of Jesus Christ. I put on the shoes of peace, may I stand firm in the good news of the gospel, so your peace will shine through me and be a light to all I encounter. I take the shield of faith, may I be ready for Satan's fiery darts of doubt, denial, deceit, so I will not be vulnerable to the spiritual defeat. I put on the helmet of salvation. May I keep my mind focused on you, so Satan will not have a stronghold on my thoughts. I take the sword of spirit. May the two-edged sword of your word be ready in my hands, so I can expose the tempting words of Satan. By faith, your warrior has put on the whole armor of God. I am prepared to live this day in spiritual victory. Amen, indeed. Amen. And that's what we have here at His Hardline Discussion. We try to get into these discussions. We talk about real stuff in the assembly. And if it's not assembly related, we uh, we discuss, you know, other relevant topics as well. But at the end of the day, we try to, you know, really get into the heart and truth of what is happening in this nation and how we return to self-governance. Because, listen, the assemblies are the only way. And there's going to be a lot of just awesome things to come in our future. I could, you know, listen, here's, uh, there's an old saying out there. They say, I can show you better than I can tell you. Just, just, if you're not going to get involved, just sit back and watch then. Just wait and watch. Okay. But we are going to get our nation back. In fact, we already have it back. It's just, we have a few more things that we need to get taken care of and we need more numbers, more people's participation within the assembly, because that's what it is. That's what it's going to take to be self-governed participation on your local level. It's like General Michael Flynn says, local action equals national impact. Do you want national impact? Get involved locally. With that, I'm going to sign off. I bid you adieu. I hope you all have a wonderful evening, afternoon, or morning, wherever you're located in the world. And remember, here at His Hard Line, there is a red line that we draw in the sand here. There is a red line that must never be crossed. 
because they've crossed these lines way too much. Who's they? The evil satanic cabal that's out there, the, the little minions out there, the little foot soldiers. No more crossing this red line. That's why his hard line exists, because we are setting up a firm stance. We're steadfast, and we are uncompromising. They will never, never cross this line again as long as I live or any of you live as well. So remember, eyes at the cross, always ask Christ to be in your heart, and he will bridge you to God the Father in heaven. And with that, I say, have a blessed day or a blessed night wherever you are in the world. We'll see you tomorrow. Ladies and gentlemen, I want to say thank you so very much for joining us here for another His Hardline discussion. Don't forget to share this website, www.hisheartline.com. Share this podcast far and wide. And remember, as it states in Joshua 1.9, I command you, be strong and steadfast. Do not fear nor be dismayed, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And that's what it means to be a hardliner. We are firm, we are steadfast, and we are uncompromising. We are warriors for Christ, and this is the Lord's fight. It's time to take this nation back and return God back at the top of the throne where he belongs. Thank you for joining us again, and come back again. Have a blessed night.